Go ahead, first slide. Good afternoon, everyone, and good morning if you happen to be on the West Coast. So we have our May Tosca 3030, and the topic today is transparency, good science, and the future of Tosca rulemaking. I think you may have heard about this in the press. It actually hit the major newspapers. EPA has a proposed rule to acquire more transparency in the science that it uses in rulemaking. So we'll talk about that today. We'll talk about what the new Tosca uh, requires in terms of EPA's use, to, use of best available science. We'll talk about how this will, will impact future Tosca rulemakings. Kind of an announcement before we start. Uh, if you filed uh, CBI substanti uh, substantiations in connection with any of your filings, PMNs, or anything, um, EPA is reviewing those now. Uh, if they have objections, they will post that in your CDX account. You'll have 30 days to respond. So far, there are no plans for EPA to send emails to people telling them that there's a problem with their CBI justifications. So until they resolve that, if they ever do, then it's important that you periodically monitor your CDX accounts so that you don't miss an opportunity to cure any CBI defects that the agency may have with your submissions. If you don't respond timely, you will lose your CBI protection. So that's very important. Next slide. So I'm Herbert Stryker. Next slide. And I'm joined here by my colleague, James Vota, and we have both spoken on many of these uh, Tosca 3030s, so we don't need to introduce ourselves. Next, next slide. Now, I'm going to turn this over to James, who's going to talk about the, the new transparency proposal. So, right, before we just sort of a little bit of context, um, you know, we, we live, you know, we, we live in, in, in this country in an economy that is uh, an administrative state, very sort of heavily regulated by laws and, and regulations. Um, and that, that system that depends on administrative agencies to make a lot of uh, determinations uh, about how those rules will be applied. And there's a, a significant body of law that's designed to make sure that as agencies are exercised, these unelected officials exercise discretion in, in making rules, that both of those rules are informed by sort of the best information available, um, as well as uh, to make sure that they're not done arbitrarily and are sort of consistent with law. So the transparency uh, in, in having transparency in the rulemaking process then becomes uh, essential, both to assure that the um, that you, uh, companies and, and, and individuals can can uh, make sure that the agencies are actually working with the best information as part of the rulemaking process, uh, and also to uh, to test the decision making process itself to make sure that it's not being done in an arbitrary way. So. Transparency is, is sort of central to the way our system is designed to work. Or again, where we rely very much on sort of experts to uh, to shape big parts of our economy. Um, in the United States, so this this process really works pretty well. I think the best evidence may be the you know, the large body of uh, legal challenges to various rules. Uh, that, that pendulum swings back and forth often between NGOs and, and and industry bringing those challenges to rules. But there is a, a, a lot of a lot of litigation in this area that keeping uh, the agencies uh, working within the, the, the right parameters. Um, there is also, though, um, you know, a longstanding concern that uh, the, the sort of the, the science that underlies a lot of these rules uh, is, um, is is not apparent. That that is that 
baked into the science either may be sort of faulty faulty methods or or unacknowledged sort of policy decisions that you know science policy that have sort of a significant effect on the outcome. And there have been a number of uh, efforts sort of over time to affect the way rulemaking is done to try and sort of surface, uh, again, both, both the underlying science, but as well as the sort of science policy choices that are there in the form of assumptions or the way analysis is done on, on studies, or selection, even the selection of studies, uh, so that those, those policy choices, those normative subjective pieces are also apparent um, and, and can be assessed as part of looking at the overall package. So, and I think that's sort of the, I think the in 2000 or so, was the two fifteen years ago, we had the Information Quality Act, which was one of the first steps to try and bring, uh, you know, more regularity to the way good science was evaluated and used in the decision-making process. It uh, provided an administrative uh, path to, to challenge some science, uses of science, but not, not with a lot of teeth. So we've got actually a lot of better guidance, but... Uh, in the end, it's sort of uh, of, of limited uh, efficacy in sort of in enforcing, I think, the, the use of good science. This sort of uh, in, brings us to where we are now. We see in this age of, of uh, the current regulatory reform era, uh, EPA has proposed the, the transparency rule, which, and we'll, we'll go through the, the details, uh, but it has it's taken sort of a narrow slice of, of regulatory science and is going to require, at least for those studies before EPA can use them, uh, that the data be publicly available as well as sort of the underlying assumptions so that uh, they, can be, they can be tested or, or subject again for both uh, looking at the right information but also making sure that the process that's being used is, is a proper one and can at least be tested. So the proposal is uh, applicable to dose and response Data models used by EPA, where it underlies sort of the, the pivotal, and we'll go through these pieces, but the, the pivotal science uh, decisions that underlie significant regulatory actions. Um, and for those studies, the requirement will be before they can be relied on that the, the underlying data and models need to be publicly available so they can be validated by, by third parties. So the first cut then is that this is only going to apply prospectively, not looking backwards, prospectively, looking only at final regulations. So we need to have this data available by the by the end, and then uh, only to the significant regulatory actions. So these are those where there's an annual impact to the economy of more than 100 million dollars a year. So things like uh, national ambient air quality standards but not to uh, smaller level decisions. We'll talk about things like individual like PMNs likely at this stage under, under this rule. Um, so it applies to the very, you know, the most uh, impactful uh, regulatory decisions. It only applies to dose, dose response data and models. So this is sort of classic kind of toxicology data. Um, and so it wouldn't apply to other kinds of important modeling that really affect the impact of rules like economic uh, economic costs, uh, looking at fate and transport, uh, a lot of other kinds of uh, regulatory science that uh, is important to the effects of rules, but are not going to be touched by this rule as, as proposed. And it only applies to a, this is an interesting concept, sort of the, the pivotal regulatory science. So it is the study or subset of studies that really 
uh, are going to, to determine the regulatory like a health level or the health benefits, for example, that go to uh, measuring the costs of, of one of these major rules. So it's not all the pieces, really sort of a subset. So it doesn't apply to individual party adjudications, act, enforcement activities, or individual kind of permit proceedings. Um, and overall, and we'll talk about this, but the overall, the, uh, the idea here is to change the, uh, the overall uh, agency's uh, culture around data and, and transparency. And this is not sort of a new uh, theme. You know, we, we saw some of the, the earlier attempts to bring this into the, into the process. Um, and I'll add that at this stage, you know, the EPA has made a very sort of specific proposal, but the, the proposal itself has really left all of these aspects is open. They've invited comment on all aspects. So I, I think as you're thinking about this going forward, it, it, it's to think about what we have in the, sort of the first paragraph of this slide, that you know, how do we effectively change the culture in a practicable way to get the sort of the best science applied in, in uh, decision making. But it doesn't apply just to uh, uh, dose and response data. It, there, there's also a requirement for the agency to dig down as they, when they do their analysis to look and to sort of describe and surface all the underlying science policy assumptions that go into their modeling and uh, the analysis of data, and then to uh, uh, test that and show uh, either by using different assumptions or uh, uh, other aspects to try and show the sort of the level of uncertainty around the conclusion and then the significance of the assumptions, the science policy choices that have been used to, uh, to show how that affects the outcome. Again, so that it gives, I think, a fuller picture about any sort of critical piece of, of uh, a critical study or uh, is going to affect the agency's conclusion. Also require independent peer review, and there's a lot of OMB guidance already around, around that concept. So in, in practice, I think the, the, the idea would be that if this or something like this were in place, then you know, EPA, EPA would move much more towards Viewing, uh, relying on peer-reviewed information and standardized methods where uh, it would not be sort of going back and looking at the, uh, the assumptions underlying, um, uh, well, the, really, the assumptions underlying models, things that have already sort of been pre-vetted as, as, uh, as good procedures. Um, and, and then uh, studies where the, where the data is available. Um, it also provides for a waiver where in those cases where uh, there is not um, using only publicly available data or studies with publicly available data uh, is impracticable. Uh, one of the, the, the key pieces that really keep uh, some data out of the, out of the public eye that are the idea of of uh, business confidentiality and privacy. This is uh, certain data developed by businesses and, and then personally identifiable information associated like epidemiology studies or other things. And so the rule anticipates that the agency would use a variety of means to try and get as much of that information you know, available in, in the record but still protecting both sort of business uh, proprietary interest and then personal privacy as well. And there are a variety of of techniques for doing that. This was very controversial in a decision making on, the, uh, on, a, on a pesticide uh, a review petition uh, last year, 2016, where we relied heavily on an epidemiology study where but the, uh, the private university that performed the study would not make the, uh, the underlying data 
uh, available in order to protect privacy concerns, and it, it really undercut the agency's ability to rely on the study. Okay, thank you, James. So, as James mentioned, there's a comment period, uh, which is right now set for May 30th. Um, according to press reports, there have been a large number of requests by NGOs and others to extend the comment period. This is a very, for some reason, and we'll probably you know, we'll try to discuss this at the end of the program, this seems to be a very, very controversial um, proposal in some quarters. Why that is, I don't know. So we need to discuss that, because everything that James mentioned seems quite reasonable to me. Uh, in fact, I would suggest uh, that the proposal should not simply be limited to significant regulatory actions. Uh, I think uh, if you be a user model, they should make sure that it's a validated model. They should make sure that the assumptions that they use are reasonable. Uh, they should test the assumptions. They should test uncertainties. They should use things like probabilistic modeling and various other techniques that have been out there for many, many years and have been resisted by the, by the agencies, by EPA in particular. And so I think uh, some question in my mind is whether this proposal should be limited to those that have a significant impact on the economy of 100 million or more. Because what does that mean in terms of Tosca? Well, what it means in terms of Tosca is maybe, maybe a Section 6 rule which might ban a very, very important chemical, uh, you know, would have that kind of impact, uh, but little else. Uh, now, arguably, if EPA is using a methodology for its entire PMN program, I might be able to argue uh, that that methodology is part of a uh, significant regulatory action, but that may be a hard sell. So they've asked for comments as to whether this should have a broader scope or narrower scope. I would suggest that it should have a broader scope. I think it sounds – we could talk about it, but I think it's, it's, it's a very good proposal, and I really don't see a lot of reason to object to it unless you want things to be regulated on the basis of junk science. If you want chemicals to be regulated on the basis of junk science, then this proposal is bad news. But if you want good science to control what happens to your companies, controls what happens to the economy, what controls what happens to, to industry and the availability of uh, the consumers to enjoy the benefits of technology, then this is a good idea. Uh, so they say it's limited to final regulations, but they do ask for comments as whether it should apply to proposed rules, guidance development, et cetera. I don't see any reason why not. Uh, they ask whether uh, it should be limited to the dose-response studies and models, and certainly things like exposure modeling or fate transfer modeling could also benefit uh, from more transparency. If you've ever tried to do comments on an EPA rule, proposed rule, that uses modeling, and you try to parse out what exactly they did, and unless you can actually get their staff person who did the modeling on the phone, it's almost impossible to parse out what they did. Uh, or replicate what they did. So there are problems with transparency. There are problems in, in terms of allowing uh, uh, the regulated community to effectively comment on what EPA is doing, and I think that there could be some a uh, lot of room for improvement. So what about permits? Certainly. PMNs, LVEs, SNRs, we'll talk about that. Next slide, please. So going back to PMNs, uh, you know, areas that I think people that struggle with EPA on PMN reviews, and I think anyone who's ever followed a PMN since the Longberg Amendments is struggling with EPA on PMN reviews. Uh, you know, EPA has never, to my knowledge, made public the source codes uh, for many of the models that it uses. Uh, you know, it has provided ECOSAR on the environmental side, but that's about it. Uh, so, how, you know, how it does its modeling, 
what assumptions it uses, whether uh, whether the, the QSAR databases that it has constructed, where it makes most of its decisions, uh, you know, what the what the uh, you know whether the the data set that QSAR is relevant to your substance at all, that's not transparent at all. Um, and I also think they've never really sort of you know provided the uh, the data base that they use for their category concerns. So there's a lot of areas, it seems to me, in the TOSCA program that could benefit from better transparency, greater transparency. Not only will that help to improve agency decision-making, uh, but it's, I think it's, it's, it's a valid thing to do and consistent with this proposal that uh, EPA has put forward for significant regulatory actions. Next slide. Now, TOSCA does, say so, does deal with uh, transparency to a certain degree. Um, and uh, I think it's important when people who are sort of having discussions with EPA to remind them about that. So there's TOSCAS, you're all the way back at the end of TOSCA. You know, you know, most people sort of, they look at Section 5. Sometimes they look at 6. They kind of look at 8. Every four years they look at 8. But they rarely look at the back of TOSCA. So Section 26 of TOSCA is very important. It's, in the, it's sort of buried in the back there. And what it requires is that EPA use the best available science in the important and core rulemakings. Test rules on the Section 4, test orders, PN, slurs on Section 5, and, of course, the, um, uh, the ban rules, phase-out rules on the Section 6. So for those rulemakings, or orders, presumably, EPA must consider, uh, you know, the extent to which the size that they use is reasonable for and consistent with the intended use. That, that seems to be fairly logical. It goes without saying. Uh, they have to look at the extent to which the information is relevant. That seems to be uh, a, a given. They have to look at the degree of clarity and completeness of the data, assumptions, methods, etc. And they have to look at the degree of variability and uncertainty in the information. So they have to do a variability and uncertainty analysis. And they have to also look at whether the information has been independently verified or can be independently verified. So, in fact, 26H has a lot of the elements uh, that is in this EPA proposal. So, and, uh, so Congress already decided all this. It wasn't the EPA, current EPA administration. Congress already decided all this. So I'm not entirely certain what all the uproar is about. Uh, and of course, under 26I, EPA must make these decisions based on the weight of scientific evidence. And, and, and if you have transparency in the evidence, then it has greater weight. Excellent. It's even more. 26J, EPA must make available to the public all its notices, determinations, findings, rules, agreements, and orders, any information that it gets under the Section 4, test rule, test order, provisions, uh, non-technical summary of each Section 6 risk evaluation. Uh, I would suggest that it should also have a technical summary. And uh, a list of the studies considered in the risk evaluation along with the results of those studies, though interestingly they are not required to provide the actual full study reports. Now, if I that actually an interesting question because if I was sitting in as a, in a judge, judging one of their uh, EPA rule under substantial evidence, and I didn't have access to the studies, assuming I was interested, and there are occasional judges that will read these things, uh, you know, I might say, well, how do I know, uh, you know, what the if, what information the agency based their decision on? And so, you know, it's. There's attention there. Now, all of this, of course, all disclosure, all transparency, and even under the EPA proposal, the transparency proposal, 
is subject to protection of confidential business information and, in some cases, where it's relevant, protection of privacy interests. But taken together, uh, TSCA really does accomplish some of the goals of the EPA transparency rule. I would suggest there are a lot of things in the transparency rule that are good, that could be used to supplement Section 26, and I would urge people to think about commenting that this should be applied more broadly and not simply to significant regulatory actions. Next, next slide. So it's sort of interesting, and we'll talk a little bit about this. And um, part of it is that we have there's so many things going on. We have to blend topics for these Tosca 3030s. Uh, and so I don't know if people have noticed it's kind of hidden. Uh, so EPA issue, recently issued a uh, modification of a SNR. Now, of course, the modification of the SNR is a good thing for the PMN submitter, right? Because they're asking EPA to kind of, uh, you know, change the, the requirements under the SNR and make it more easier uh, to use the chemical based on new information. So it's a good thing for the PMN submitter. Um, but in that, this particular case, um, one of the environmental groups uh, filed comments, and if, very extensive comments. And the only the only impression I got from reading the comments was this, these comments say, "Get ready for a lawsuit." That was the only only, only impression I got. Uh, so, but in any event, I think what's important for this discussion is that the comments really urge EPA or, or pointed out the significant failings in their rulemaking because of a lack of sufficient transparency. Uh, they argued that EPA failed to consider all reasonable available information. They failed to justify and explain their exposure assumptions. They failed to justify uh, and sufficiently describe key aspects of their risk review. They failed to include key health and safety studies in the docket. So if you sort of think about it, that's what the EPA proposed transparency rule would accomplish. Right. And so what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Uh, before we go to the next slide, I'm going to final thoughts. We're running out of time. Oh, only to, to say that, that it, uh, you know, the, the SNR process or a PMN process yeah. is one that needs to happen on a relatively short time frame. Yeah. And, and I think it may be a significant, you know, while we need to have the, the, the transparency at the same time, it may be difficult to manage uh, that information load within the sort of the available decision time frames that the agency should have without sort of extending these okay, into so uncomfortable. Okay. So what? If, so you would not have... Requirement for well, no. Well, I let think me ask. To, let me ask. Think about I mean, the way. Wait, is the ninety-day a real limit? <laughs> well, not anymore. Right. Yeah. right. I mean, but, yeah. I, but I think that that in in you know we have the idea of sort of the fit for purpose is right. the real uh, right. risk evaluation right. rule, and and so finding a way to sort of meet these transparency requirements really, but in a practicable way within the time frame of you know, what should be a ninety-day review period, I think is. Something we need to work on. Uh, I would agree with. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. What, Section 26 does tell them to be transparent, yeah. but that's not an excuse not to make decisions, right? Right. Yeah. So I mean, I think that's right. And fit for purpose is quite important. And there is a provision in the EPA proposal for waivers in appropriate circumstances. Uh, but I think you know, I think that's sort of another, maybe another proposed rule that is sort of more tailored to kind of permitting actions. Maybe that's what industry should urge. Something. So this is fine. What they have here for significant rulemakings that have a hundred million plus impact in the economy. But what they really should be urged to do is this is such a great idea, you know, let's have a more tailored proposal for less significant regulatory actions. Right. Or, or, or or tailored either to I mean these are blocks of things. So that the way that studies get used, I mean it becomes more of the norm when studies are done mm -hmm. sort of beyond EPA. 
that there is, you know, a greater emphasis on doing sort of showing the uncertainty, showing, you know, the the way the different assumptions sort of played in. I mean, that that really sort of flows back yeah. to the you know the folks who are doing studies. Yeah. So let me sort of ask you a question. Though. I mean, there's a problem with the PMN reviews, as I understand it, is that a lot of the information EPA uses CBI, right? So if you ask them, they tell you that you know they have a concern of X based on analog. Information. Then you ask them, well, what what analog did you base that on? And they say, well, we can't tell you. So is that how does it, how do you reconcile the tension between you know being able to test their assumptions and a, and a court being able to review what they do? Which, I mean, assume I'm assuming if I was sitting in a court and EPA said, well, we can't tell you uh, you know what we did because it's all CBI. Uh, how would that play out? Well, and and I think that that is. Now, to answer your question, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but answer a different question. But, but I think that I think that that sort of the idea that those provisions would be used to stop science is, is the concern. That, that I think there is some concern that this rule is really designed to keep the agency from using studies that might show sort of maleffects. You know, this is really sort of a shield, a guide. You know, in the in the guise of of, of good science, or trying to uh, protect good science. And so, as the rule goes forward, I think we want to. I think there are lots of ways to sort of address that kind of concern. I think right. Maybe over. Right, 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 right. So, but, <laughs> but, uh, right. Uh, I don't, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm not you, don't know you don't know what to do yeah. about the CBI problem? Well, part of it is, I guess we'll see what shakes out when after, you know, EPA, you know, parses through all the, you know, there'll be things that are, you know, all the active and inactive chemicals. I mean, presumably they're – I mean, I don't know how current their databases are, quite frankly. I mean, whether these things were constructed in the 70s uh, or whatever they are. And I think that the that the, the CBI review process yeah, – yeah. I mean, it may be that in the end that a lot of these CBI claims from years ago are going to, in fact, be more difficult to sustain today. Uh, well, it's, it's possible that, possible that you know, some of, these, some of these chemicals no longer need CBI protection. They may not be in commerce. They may have been, you know, long disclosed, uh, and so maybe they don't need CBI protection. But, you know, of course, obviously, when there's legitimate CBI protection, it needs to be protected. Right. You know, on the other hand, uh, you know, you need to, if companies are trying to get clearances, PMN clearances or whatever, you know, need to understand, you know, why the agency has concern with their chemical. And uh, that's not very transparent, at least in my mind, you know, in many cases. Uh, you know, and so I think it's, you know, kind of, I don't, you know. Well, no, no, and, and I think we use actually other contexts as a way. So there may be ways to have sort of a third party involved. So maybe that the third party company doesn't get to see it, but they can use have an independent evaluator or someone else who's going to be a consultant or other no, who will be under a well, non non disclosure. That's actually an interesting idea. So if, since the agency proposed a substantial increase in the task of PMN fees, <laughs> then they could probably have extra money to do something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, so, next slide. So, I'm, okay, so our next TOSCA 3030 is in June. I, what do you, I don't know what we're going to talk about. I, I think we should probably talk about the Second Circuit uh, case. So the new chemicals yeah. challenge. Yeah, 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 why don't you talk a little bit, give, give people a minute of answer. You know, so, uh, you know, EPA has been working since the, the Lautenberg Amendments, has been working with a, a practicable way to address like, the new decision-making process as they've understood it. And a series of public meetings culminating in one in December where they announced a new procedure for what used to be the old non-5E SNR where they had concerns with 
not not with a, the, the intended use, but the foreseeable other uses, that in those cases they would, instead of doing a, an, an order and then issuing a SNR, uh, I think as, as some have suggested they, they were required to do under the new statute, they instead would, just before the chemical could be commercialized, they would just issue a SNR, sort of a one-step process. And that sort of framework, before it actually had been implemented and was sort of out for comment, was the subject of a challenge by the NRDC in, right. in, the, in the second circuit. Right. And they filed their opening brief already. Yeah. So there's Please. some action there. Sure. So June 13th, maybe we'll talk about that, unless there are more lawsuits going on. Uh, and then I just want to remind people uh, that we have an OSHA 3030 uh, that's on Wednesday, May 30th. Uh, and we have a FIFRA 3030 on, uh, well, I guess we have a, we'll have a next date. That's right. And if anybody else wants another 3030 on something, send us an email. <laughs> <laughs> but, but certainly, certainly not EPCRA 3030. Right. All right. So take care, everybody. Thank you for Thanks spending time with us today. And see you next time.